And so, Father, would you help us today to see what new thing you're doing in our hearts? Would you minister to us? Would you help us see that we're not living life like the world around us does? And for the newer believer or the person who's not yet placed faith and trust in Jesus, would you open their eyes today? Because, Lord, we all need our eyes open. We all need uh, you to come and minister your word to us today. We need a renewing that can only come from you. So uh, help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we looked at last week, Paul has had troubles. He has had adversaries in his life. He has had problems in his life. And these adversaries had made things difficult in the church. So he had this church at Corinth. He went there and kind of started it. It was a small church, right? And uh, he left. And when he left, these adversaries started ripping him apart. They mock him. They tell the church all the reasons why Paul should be forgotten about, forget his ministry, he's not a great apostle, he doesn't speak well. In chapter 8, he's ugly. I mean, they were really vicious to him. They were really picking on him. And uh, so, uh, basically, Paul is responding here and saying, okay, you know, I know I've got my detractors there in Corinth, but let's get back to the facts. And last week, we started the facts. The facts are that though we have detractors, we remain focused on verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, teaching the word. We're not going to turn to gimmicks just because people are are, uh, rejecting the teaching of the word. And then you see in verses 3 and 4, we were taught last week, uh, we should expect that not everybody's going to get this. And at the end of the day, you can't make them see it. The gospel is veiled, Paul said, to a bunch to, to people. And if it's going to be unveiled, that's going to create or that's going to require a work of God to do that. So it's fine that we are describing sunrises to blind people, but that doesn't mean they see it. And so as we are ministering the gospel, we are asking God to lift the veil. And then lastly, verses 5 and 6 last week, said, look, because ultimately it's about Christ and not about us. This whole passage of Scripture has one theme. Do, when, when life is difficult, when ministry is difficult, when being faithful to God is difficult, do not lose heart. Okay, so let me show that to you first and then tell you what that means. Uh, Verse 1, therefore, having this ministry by the mercies of God, we do not lose heart. It's as if Paul is saying, well, I want to tell you what I'm about to talk about here, and that's what he's done. We do not lose heart. Look down at verse uh, 16. The conclusion of this passage. So, that means he's wrapping it up. So, we do not lose heart. And so we see at the beginning of chapter 4, he says, don't lose heart. Life is difficult. Ministry is difficult. And at the end of chapter 4, he says, don't lose heart. I've been telling you why you should not lose heart in ministry. Okay? And so you say, well, why do you say in ministry and what is ministry? Okay, first of all, I told you I was going to say, what does not lose heart mean? Not lose heart means we do not lose our motivation to continue to serve, to be faithful even though hard things are happening to us all the time. Okay, so don't lose your motivation to continue on. And, and then, again, uh, so our first point here is we do not lose heart in serving God because 
our weakness shows that the world or shows the world that God is strong. We do not lose heart in serving God. Now, why do I say that? Why is this passage about serving God? Look back at verse 4. Or excuse me, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry. So Paul is talking about the fact that he is going to continue to proclaim Jesus even when it's difficult. Now look down at our first verse today, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. The word treasure there points back up to verse 1. This ministry. It's as if Paul is saying, okay, from the beginning, God determined this is how he was going to work it. That God is going to put the responsibility to teach the new covenant to the next generation in common everyday, that's what he says there in in verse 7, in jars of clay. These common everyday, those jars of clay were used for the worst and ugliest kinds of jobs. Think trash, think toilets. I mean, they, they were used for common everyday experience in life. And God has put the responsibility to minister his word in this generation in jars of clay like you and me. So that's why we're saying we do not lose heart in serving God. And I just want to define serving God before we continue now. Because I don't want you to think Paul is saying he was serving God, but nobody else was. He, He was applying this to the ones in Corinth who had the responsibility to be the church. Uh, That means you and me who are following after Christ. We are responsible. So here are some examples of things that we should not lose heart in being faithful. Example number one, character transformation. You should not lose heart in your pursuit to become more and more like Jesus Christ, though the world uh, throws up afflictions and troubles in your path all all the day long. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, look back at chapter 3 and the last verse. He is saying to them, hey, um, when we have an unveiled face, we will see God. And when we see God, we have to be transformed by him. He's great. And so we do not lose our motivation in becoming more and more like Jesus, though we have affliction in our lives day by day. So faithful ministry includes becoming more like Jesus and loving God. It includes your place in the creation mandate. Okay, so um, uh, do not lose heart in serving God, and we're just defining what serving God is right now. It's you going to work and ruling over God's created world on his behalf. So you're you're an engineer. And you go at it upright, and you show up at work right, and you want to tell the truth, and you want to be displaying the character of Jesus in your job. You're in customer service. People come into the store every day, and you got to talk to them. And you can do your job ruling over God's created world for his glory by showing the character of Jesus in the way you interact with others, and the way you tell the truth, and the way you do your work. This week I did premarital counseling with a, a couple, and I, the, the young man is an electrician. And I said, so when you go to work and you make the connections, you are ruling over God's world so that somebody can have a house where they flip this light switch on, and the lights go on, and to the, all the glory goes to God in the way you do your job. And he said... I never thought of that before. I thought I was just going to get a paycheck. 
And listen, friends, if you are just going to your job as like a necessary evil so you can get home as soon as you can, you're, you're missing faithful ministry opportunities. Okay? So we do not lose heart in serving God. Okay? Other examples of where, the ways we serve God it includes the, your role in covenants that you've made before God. So you, some of you in here, not all of you, and that's cool. Some of you are single, and you're happily single. That's great. Some of you are single, and you're moderately ha- happily single. Great. Some of you are married, and you are in a covenant that, God, that you made before God and many friends in this room where you stood up before the world and said, I'm going to c- commit my life to this person till death do us part. Well, we do not lose heart in serving God in our marriage. Don't, don't lose heart in serving God in the covenants you've made. Because uh, you made them, and God is glorified as you keep them with joy. And so this includes your role in covenants like marriage. This includes your gifts, skills, passions in the kingdom. And, and what I'm saying there is in the church, in the way you serve here at church. And the way you serve ministries and tell children and tell adults and tell peers about who God is and show them faithfulness, this includes your gifts and skills here. So when we say we do, that, that we are doing faithful ministry and you see that it's, it's a treasure that God's placed in jars of clay, I don't want you to think that means a wanna. No, it doesn't mean a specific ministry in the church. That means the work that God's doing in your life, you are faithful to the work that God is doing uh, in you. And so here at the church, our purpose statement is that we are multiplying committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's our heart. That's what we want to see happen. We want to see dads learn how to disciple their own children. We want to see baseball coaches learn how to disciple baseball players. We want to see customer service representatives learn how to uh, disciple the people they work with. We want to see husbands, wives. We want to see all of us transformed day by day into the image of Jesus Christ, doing our work for him. Now, while we struggle, it can be difficult to remain focused on that, and we can get discouraged. That's the, that's the quick version of this paragraph. Discouragement comes because our bodies are weak. He's, he's already described here. We've got all sorts of problems. In fact, I'm going to let him describe the kinds of problems. So uh, our weakness shows the world that God is strong, and that's his point in verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the reason why God has placed the ministry in weak vessels like you and me is so that he will get the glory and that everyone will see that the, the surpassing power, that word surpassing there, it means unequaled. It means uh, superlative to the top, none more than than him, right? The surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so we remain focused on uh, that faithful ministry. Look look at what he says here, and he's kind of on this escalator. So we we start with affliction, and let's let Paul show us where we're going to go. But verse 8, we are afflicted in every way. That means we're pressed down. We have heavy weight placed on us, and that talks about your day-to-day life. 
You have responsibility. You have to go to work. You have to get to the doctor's office. You have to fill the car up with gas and get the oil changed. You have to get your neighbor to a certain place at a certain time. You, you have all these pressures on you. You have, to, you have a deadline at work. And so we have these, these regular afflictions that weigh us down in our life. You've got football two-a-days coming up, right? You've got all these things coming up in your life, and we are afflicted, and, and he says, in every way. All sorts of different afflictions. But look, we're not, we are not crushed. The word crushed there means pinned down so that you cannot move. So we, we have a weight on us, but we haven't been paralyzed. We're not stopped. We have forward motion. In chapter 5, we're going to look at this a little bit further as, we, as he describes being caught between a rock and a hard place. These, we're at a narrows in the cliff, and we can't get through. And, and, but we can get through, is what he's saying here. We can get through in Christ. And so uh, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are uh, perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Ever been perplexed with God? All the time. This week, multiple times, sitting with people saying, why did God do that? Or here's the question I had several times this week. Why did God do that now? And the world around us loves that question. Because, you know, if you're not in Christ Jesus and you ask that question, if you can't answer it rightly, then they can say, well, see, God's not all-powerful because bad things happen. And this passage says, no, bad things happen to put the power of God on display in this world. And so here we are, we're perplexed. And what the, the, the Greek has this play on words there, where basically, it basically says, we're out of answers, but we're not completely out of answers. Another concept is, uh, we're at a loss, but we're not at a total loss. So what's God doing? I don't know what God's doing, but I know God is good. And so we do become perplexed sometimes. We do ask the why questions and not have answers. And I may not know why, but I do know that God is good. And listen, God's wisdom is put on display when you are perplexed and faithful. God's wisdom is put on display for the world to see when you don't know what he's doing, but you remain faithful. And so we are perplexed, but not despairing. We're not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Verse 9, we continue on here, right? So uh, we are persecuted, but not forsaken. Persecuted has this idea that uh, we're being hunted down by an adversary. Reminder, Paul's adversary was in the church at, at Corinth. So we're not necessarily hunted down by the people outside that are they're hunting us that are uh, our enemies, though that can happen, and certainly in the world around us it happens all the time. Sometimes the enemy comes from within. So here we are, we're hunted down by people. And when you faithfully serve the Lord, you know for sure you will have adversaries. When others come after you to hurt you, God remains with you to help you. Persecuted, but not forsaken. You're not forsaken. And uh, 
Deuteronomy 31.6 reminds us of that. The Lord goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus rose and said, you know, I, right before he actually was crucified, he said, I must go because I'm going to send one who will help you and he will never leave you or forsake you. And though we are persecuted, we are not abandoned. We are not forsaken. It says there in verse 9, uh, again, the end of it. We are struck down but not destroyed. So you see how he's on this escalator and he's getting higher and higher and the problems are getting bigger and, and bigger and now he's talking about death. And by the way, this whole, this whole passage, he's talking about the frailty of the body and death. And if you're in a place where your body's failing and you have dealt with death of late, can I just say tenderly to you as your body fails and you have gone through difficulty, we love you enough that we didn't want to avoid this passage. We want to talk about it because it's going to be a ministry to your heart. And so hear the words I'm saying that are sometimes matter-of-fact about, about suffering and, and death and difficulty. I'm not meaning to be flip. By God's grace, I hope he's being timely to help you as your body is failing. Okay, so all that to say, we are here in verse uh, 9, he says we're struck down. That means we're down for the count. It's a military term. It means you have, you have suffered a blow. You're out of commission. In boxing, you've been punched, and you've got the standing eight count. You can't go on. You're, you're out of your wits, and you, you can't really go on the way things are. But you're not dead yet. I know that because you're here this morning. Hello, you're not dead yet. Here you are. You're still in there. He's still faithful, right? So you may have experienced the blow. You may have experienced the, the standing eight count. You may be on the mat. You may be surrounded by hard situations and, and never have seen the situation you find yourself in. And Paul is in essence saying, look, as hard as all of this stuff is, the reason you're going through all the stuff you're going through is not because God's out of control. It's because God's in control. He chose to make a world where we die. He chose to make a world where the body wears out and gets sick. And the reason that he chose to make a world like that, he's trying to make this case to you today, is that when we have these afflictions and difficulties and problems, stay focused on faithfulness to God and ministry, because what you're doing when you do that is you are, you are a billboard to the world around you that God is strong. Look back at verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? Well, to show that the power power, the great power, the top-end power, all the power, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not when we're smart that we have the greatest impact. It's not when we're young. It's not when we figure something out. It's not, as we heard last week, it's not when we can come practice cunning and come up with all sorts of creative ways to get the word of God out there. No. Come back to this. Minister the word hold to the word, and in the midst of our bodies breaking down, in the midst of the afflictions of life, be faithful to God. Do not lose courage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
And in your weakness, God's strength is perfected. And what that means is this. God, on purpose, set us up as weak people in this world, and he aimed his strength. So, so when it says uh, his strength is perfected, it means his strength has found its target. It's reached its goal when you are weak and faithful. When you are weak and faithful, God puts his glory on display so the whole world can see it. So has it been hard? Sure, it's hard. But do not lose heart in everyday pressures. Do not lose heart in currently unanswerable questions. Do not lose heart when you are pursued or even knocked down in faithful service because all those things are God's plan to put his strength on display. They are not a, an unforeseen detour. They are not a shocking uh, reality to God. He did it on purpose so that the world could better see how great he is when you trust him, when it's hard. So uh, we do not lose heart in serving God because he's at work. He's, our weakness shows the world that God is strong. But secondly, our weakness, excuse me, we do not lose heart in serving God uh, because our faith shows the world that God is on the move. People cite statistics all the time, you know, the church is shrinking, the church is having problems, and it's not what it once was. In every generation that I've ever read about in church history, there's been somebody who said, we're just two generations, maybe three generations away from Christianity going extinct. They're not going to believe, they're not going to make it, they have no resources The Bible is, uh, remember Voltaire made that statement, the Bible is irrelevant and will one day, you know, in the very near future, it will be gone forever, right? And then they print Gutenberg's Bible in his living room, by God's grace, right? So, So here is... All the statistics we could look at and say, well, it seems like God's, if, if he's up there, he's sort of like wound things up and he's left us alone. We're just on our own here because God really doesn't care that much. It doesn't seem like he cares that much about, about his people, about what's going on in the world. And Paul's saying, oh, quite contraire. Afflictions exist so that the whole world will never forget how strong God is and how he is active in the world right now. Look uh, at verse 13. Verse 13 puts it this way. Since we have the same spirit... Let me ask you this question. Just, we're going to come back to verse 13 in a minute. Look up here. Do you believe this stuff? Do you believe this stuff? As hard as your situation is, I'm asking you to consider this. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead the third day? That he has conquered death and hell forever? That you will not experience judgment. Are you perplexed? You know, sometimes we're perplexed and we think, I don't know what God's doing. Are you perplexed by this question that we sang a few minutes ago? Why should I gain from his reward? That should be what you're perplexed about this morning. Why should I gain from the reward that Christ earned? I did nothing to receive it. And so if we really believe that, we're going to set our mind on it, and it's going to come out of our mouths. We're going to talk about it, right? And that's what his next point is. He says, he basically looks at the Corinthians and says, guys, do you even believe this stuff? Look, Look at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, belief, faith, 
We have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed and so I spoke. If we had more time, I would turn to uh, Psalm 116 in verse 10. Show you how the psalmist was at the end of his rope, had no friends with him, was completely isolated. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he believed that God would be faithful. He believed that God would deliver him, and so he spoke about it to his friends. Another paragraph, another parenthesis. You're persecuted, you're afflicted, you have trouble, your body's breaking down, all these problems. What do you speak about with others? Your husband is a disappointment. Your situation is the hardest. What do you speak about? What are the words that come out of your mouth? Well, Paul here is saying, well, I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's actually done that. It actually has a meaningful implication and impact on my life. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. So that's what I speak about when I speak about life and living. Now, it's not saying you shouldn't have a friend that you, that you talk to and get advice from, but that is saying that most of the words that come out of your mouth in the midst of your hardest situation should be, I am remaining encouraged. Do not lose heart. Why? Jesus rose from the dead. That's why. Jesus has risen from the dead. So knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's your future. Your future is risen from the dead, not receiving the recompense for the sins that you deserve. And by the way, all that's tied back also to uh, verses 7 and 8. Did you see that when we went through? Excuse me, 8 and 9? Oh, uh, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Can I just remind you, Jesus was crushed. Isaiah 53, he was crushed for you, so you don't have to be crushed. We are uh, perplexed but not driven to despair. Can I remind you that all of the wisdom of God is in Christ Jesus? And so all of the questions are answered in Jesus Christ. We are not perplexed. Can I remind you, verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken. Can I remind you that Jesus on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can I remind you that Jesus was forsaken so you never will be? Can I remind you that he was struck, destroyed? We will never be destroyed. Jesus was destroyed. He said, uh, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. What was he talking about? His body. He was destroyed, so you'll never be destroyed. And so all of this has been about Jesus Christ, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Whatever the difficulty you're facing today, that's your future. God will bring you into the presence of Jesus and all of us into his presence by the work of Jesus. So you say, why did you say then that our faith shows the world? Why did you use the phrase, God is on the move? Well, that's all contained. There are three on-the-move phrases in verse 15 that says your trouble exists to show the world that God is strong right now, and he's doing something profound and powerful in the world. Okay, here's what he says. It is for your, all your sake, it is all for your sake, that, in essence, Paul's saying, that's why I'm going through all these problems. It's for your sake. So that... As grace extends, that's God is on the move, number one. Grace extends. Grace is coming into Paul's life and sustaining him in the midst of trouble and problem and affliction. And grace is coming into your life in the midst of your affliction too, as the whole world watches. All your friends can see what's going on in your world. And so what are you talking about? 
How are your words being formed? Are you talking about a, a, a new body and a faithful God and a hope in the future? So God's on the move as grace extends. Two, here's the next God is on the move phrase. More and more people. He's on the move. More and more people are hearing the gospel because you have problems in your world. You have a problem at home, so you call the water heater guy. More and more people in your world. You have a problem in your body, so you went to the oncologist. That's hard. You met the nurse, the receptionist, two people in the little room, three people in the next room, and the doctor. And then the PA called you the next day. You just met 10 people because of your affliction. More and more people. Your uh, neighbor's house floods, and you go over and help them get the stuff out of the basement, and suddenly you have a new relationship, a deepening relationship with your neighbor. And we can go on and on and on about the examples of more and more people. God is on the move when you struggle. He's at work, and that's just the second one. Look at the third thing. Uh, so, so that grace extends in the midst of your trouble, more and more people hear about it, and lastly, that uh, the increase of thanksgiving forever is what we're talking about there. And you see what happened there? God uses your trouble to build his kingdom in the world so that forever and ever there's more thanksgiving being given to him. And that's how he winds it up, the end of verse 15, so that thanksgiving increases to the glory of God. He is so great. He lets you suffer. He is so great. He's putting his power on display in your decaying body. If your body's not decaying here today, just wait. It's coming. And it's beautiful. The hardness of this week, this month, this year, and your life, it's not wasted. There is no wasted suffering for faithful Christians. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, now we're to the conclusion. Verses 16 through 18, he finalizes his thoughts. Look at verse 16. So, in conclusion, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. I just talked about that. Your body is wasting away. I saw a couple people limping in here. People I've, I've run marathons with. I saw some people crutching in here. I saw some people rolling in here. And our bodies are in a bad shape. And this is, this is like troubling a little bit, right? No, it's not because we expect this. God made the kind of world that our bodies would decay in. Some of us have hearing aids. Uh, I've got, I got a new thing a couple years ago. In fact, one year ago, you know what I got? Not bifocals, I got trifocals. Trifocals. If I do this, you know, I, it's really quite remarkable, especially when you're walking up steps. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm 48. I'm getting up there. Things are falling apart, all right? So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. That's what's happening to our bodies. It's wasting away. 
And he's not just talking about in ministry. He's not just talking about getting persecuted. Though, you know what? Uh, Well, we'll get there in just a minute. Okay. He gives us a list of all the things he struggled with. We're going to see it in just a minute. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You know that that's the work of God in your life? That while your body gets weaker, your spirit gets stronger day by day? A couple things I want to point out there. Number one, it's a passive word. That your your inner renewing takes place outside of you. You can't do it on your own. The inner renewing is not a matter of knowing scripture and carrying three by five cards with verses on and thinking good thoughts, right? The, the nature of Christianity, while it's based on the word of God, it is not encapsulated in the word of God. We need a daily relationship with God. And that is what this passage says. It's renewed how? Day by day. As you meet with God. And it's renewed how? Passively. You can't do it on your own. Listen, you can know all of the truths. You can know all of the information. But if God doesn't give you a renewed mind and heart, if he doesn't come and meet with you, you can be fully encouraged today. And you can find yourself fully discouraged tomorrow. You say, I don't know what happened. I have these verses memorized. I know the true information. The renewal comes from God himself, day by day. And so we need him to act again today to renew the way we think. Yes, it's based on the word of God. Yes, we should memorize the word. Yes, we should carry around three by five cards with Bible verses on. Yes, we should give ourselves to the word of God. But the act of renewing comes from God himself. Four, verse 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Hey, listen, whatever your trouble, so in in this conclusion now, we're we're saying um, this. Uh, We need God to show up day by day, okay? So your affliction is light. And your affliction is temporary. Well, why do you say it's light? You don't know what, I'm, what I've gone through. You, you just said you saw me come in on crutches. You saw me come in. You, you, you know that I have a loved one in my life that's passed away recently. You know that things are... You don't know how difficult it's been for me. I don't. I don't. And I'm not making light of however heavy your situation is. But let me, let me read what Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to get to it in a few weeks as we continue our series here in 2 Corinthians. Verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11, he says this, Are they, they servants of Christ? Uh, I've worked harder than all of them. Far more imprisonments, he's been in jail, a lot, because of the gospel. With countless beatings, he lost track of that. I don't know how many times I've been beaten for the, for the king. I don't know. I literally do not know how many times. Often near death was Paul, often near death, constantly persecuted. He was pursued. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. That was as much as they could legally beat him, and so they did it five separate times. Again, he's called ugly at one point in this passage, a couple of chapters earlier. I think that's because he probably had an eye disease, and he had a disfigurement, and he looked nasty. And so they they teased him and and discredited him because of that. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. He was literally floating in the open sea for a day and a half, was Paul. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, can I just say to you, this isn't just talking about afflictions you have because of the, of the gospel. He was just traveling, and there was a river to cross, and it was dangerous. And he viewed that as something that God was going to use to, to bring the gospel to the nations, to show his strength, that he was going to get him safely to his destination. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers. By the way, if you work far away from Sheboygan and you, and you commute an hour 30 minutes every day. Listen, every day is another way to say, look at the power of God in my life. He's delivered me from the danger of rivers, the danger of robbers, and the danger of, of traffic as I travel. Blessed be the name of the Lord for the way he takes care of you. Danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. Now, why am I putting that before you? I'm putting that before you not to say that, oh, look at poor Paul. I'm putting that before you to say, Paul knows what persecution is, and here's how Paul described it. It's light. That's light. That's, that's nothing. So I don't know what your persecution or your trial or your burden is. It's nothing. You say, well, why does he call it temporary? Well, here's, here's the concept of temporary here, Paul. He's saying it, it only lasts, and I'd love for you to say, now look, he's writing 2 Corinthians, so he gets some moments to himself, maybe in a jail cell somewhere. I'd like to be able to say to you, temporary means in little neat weeks. That's not what I'm saying. Temporary means only for your lifetime. It's, it's only for life that you're going to have troubles. It's only in this world that you're going to have problems. And, and he says, look, don't look at the troubles. You want a, you want a way to, to not lose heart while you have afflictions, focus on the fact that God is strong in them. Focus on the fact that God is on the move in them. And focus on the fact that they are so temporary. So in eternity past, he, he and by the way, this little illustration comes from Francis Chan, so I, I really liked it and thought it was good. Uh, he, he existed e- eternity before this, but he at some point created. And there was a, a flood. And, and there was promises. And there was Old Testament. And there was law. And, and there was David, and, and there was Solomon, and there was a, the beauty of all he was doing, right? There was the intertestament period of, of 400 years when he didn't speak for a while. There was Jesus Christ, and there was his faithfulness. When he had made the promise all the way back here in Genesis chapter 3, he made the promise, and then we got to Jesus, and he kept the promise, and this is real life. This is a chain of faithfulness that God has, and now we've gotten up to good old 2018. I made this real big because you're not nearly that big. We think we're so smart. We think it's all about us. We think our pain is the great pain. Look how small that is. It's way bigger than it should be. The affliction of your life, my friend. Because the second the tape of your life runs out, Eternity starts. And the weight of glory that God has prepared for you, it will run forever and ever and ever. And you will be in the presence of God forever. And there will be this time here, and like if we could still have numbers on it way down the road, and we'll be like, hey, you remember the, uh, the afflictions that we had in the world? 
No. Well, I haven't thought about those in a long time. What afflictions are those? Oh, I remember something. COPD. I don't know. Forgot. Well, remember the walked with a limp? Yeah. Remember my adult son? My adult daughter? Struggled? Remember how I longed for... No. No, because you're going to be in glory for heaven, forever and ever. And the light and momentary afflictions that you have endured in this world will be forgotten. They'll be over. Compared to the great, beautiful, eternal weight of glory that God has prepared for you. And so do you see what, God, what, what Paul is doing here? He's saying, look, God has put his power on display in all of your afflictions and troubles. He's doing something strong and he's showing the world. And in the midst of that, he is, he is on the move and he's actually extending his kingdom through your suffering. And look, look here, and here's where we close. Verse 17 says this. Here's verse 18. We, as we look not, here's the thing, make a decision to not look at what you see. Make a decision to look at the eternal things. You say, I don't know what, what it's going to look like yet. That's the beauty of this passage. I don't either. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know it's real, and I know it's true, and I know God is, is doing a great thing. So verse 18 says this to you and me, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And let's go back up to 17 for just a minute. For this light, momentary affliction, listen, Here's the two words that you almost can't believe it. You almost can't believe it. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Here's what it's saying. There's no wasted suffering for the believer. Every issue you have is preparing, is producing a greater experience for you in heaven forever. Uh, I wrote it down like this because this like blows my mind. Somehow our this world afflictions impact our eternal capacity to praise and glorify God. I don't know how. But the pain and the trouble and the burdens that you have in this world are producing a qualitatively different eternity for you and God's given you the pain and the struggle now so that your eternity is better. That's crazy. I can't fully explain it, but I am telling you, there is purpose now. There is extension of God's power now. And there is a forever redemption of your pain and struggling. My friends, as you face affliction, as you are put to death all day long, can I encourage you today? Whatever that is, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. God is strong. He loves you. He's good. And he's investing all of the hurt today and tomorrow by his grace. Don't lose heart. Let's stand and be dismissed. Lord, uh, our hearts often ache. We need you to meet with us today and tomorrow to renew our hearts. So we pray for help. Pray for help.
for the one who is losing or has lost or who right now today can't even get their brain wrapped around meeting with you and asking for you to renew their strength. I pray for a friend to come alongside and put their arm around them and say, look, I don't know all the things you've been going through. But I know this. I, I love you. And I will pray for you. And would you help us be, even as Bennett encouraged us a little earlier in this service, help us come together in our suffering. Help us to not lose heart. And so we commit our way to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.